you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Lord, we come to you this morning and we thank you that we can turn our eyes up to you. That in our emptiness, we can see in you a fullness that satisfies all of our needs. And so we pray, Lord, as we gather in this moment of time, we pray, Lord, that you would send your spirit as we open your word, that our hearts would be soft, and that as we walk out of here today, we'd walk out changed. And Lord, we can't do this, so we come and we ask in faith, and we ask it in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus. And God's people said, one really loud voice, amen, amen. Have a seat, everyone. Um, My name is Andrew, if I haven't uh, met some of you, I'm one of the the pastors here. Great to see you this morning. Uh, Great to see you as we open up one of the most remarkable of the signs. Um, You might not know this, this is the only miraculous sign that is recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the only one that makes it into all four Gospels, and it's a beautiful window into the life of Jesus. You're going to see why it makes it in, I think. Um, This morning, I want to borrow for my structure as we look to John 6, and please, uh, if you do have your Bibles, physically, electronically, I will be going through chunks of, of John 6, more than what was read, although I think we've got most of the verses on the screen. But this morning for my structure, I want to borrow from two great uh, saints, legends of the Christian faith. I want to borrow from St. Augustine of Hippo and St. Dave of Belmont. Um, So you might remember a few weeks ago, uh, Dave Chiswell, when he opened up um, the John series for us in the Signs of Jesus, he, he drew from St. Augustine and he had a quote, and you might remember it, the Gospel of John is deep enough for an elephant to swim and shallow enough for a child not to drown. So that's my, that's my debt to St. Augustine. My debt to St. Dave is that he uh, had the very helpful analogy of splashing on the surface, that there was a lot to see on the surface of these stories, but then he spoke about his visit to the swimming pool and putting on the goggles and the little ones putting their heads underneath and seeing some of the things that were underneath. So this morning, two big things. We're going to splash on the surface of this story, and then we're going to put on the goggles, because there's things to see. All right, first, let's have a splash on the surface, and what a wonderful spot to splash, because this story's got a lot of color. There's a lot of life, and there's a lot of, of movement. A um, couple of things we see here. Number one, Jesus is a great guy to bring to a party. Uh, Dave, as we began this series, saw that he shows up with good wine and lots of it. Um, This time, he brings the main course. And uh, it's called the the feeding of the 5,000. This is 5,000 men. So um, Bible commentators reckon, you know, if you've got 5,000 men, you're probably looking about maybe 15 to 20,000 people in total. No wonder When the crowds come and they get this free food, they cheer, they rejoice, they want to make him king. Uh, Jesus is a good guy because he brings good food, but more than that, Jesus really cares. Uh, John's gospel account doesn't actually mention this, but it's interesting that in the other three accounts, they speak about when Jesus is up on the Golan Cliffs, and they they look down, and, and maybe you've been in that part of Israel, and you know you, you can see a fair way away. It's an isolated, empty place even today. And you've just seen the people coming up, 
towards them in their thousands. And uh, we're told that Jesus has compassion on them. They're hungry. They've got nowhere to get food. And his heart is moved with that, that sympathy, that empathy, that compassion. Uh, so as we splash around on the surface, we, we could look at this story and says, Jesus cares for those people who are physically hungry. And so should we. And you'd be right to take that application away from this passage. Or you, you might look at this story as you splash and you notice that Jesus has got other concerns besides feeding the people. There's a very interesting line here, which is in all four Gospels, and it's clearly something of significance. Verse 12, and when they'd eaten their fill, he told his disciples, listen to this, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. Uh, We see in this story that Jesus has no problem with producing food, but interestingly, he, he focuses our attention in and he says, let there be nothing wasted. That there'd be nothing lost. So we could come to this story as we splash on the surface and say, well, Jesus didn't want to waste stuff, neither should we. And that would be a good and valid application as well. But as you splash around, you might focus in on Jesus' question to his disciples and what a question it is. He asks Philip, who was from that area, and probably because Philip knew more than anyone else how impossible this question was, But he's in question is, where are we to buy bread so that these people can eat? 15,000 people, perhaps 20,000 people. Jesus looks at Philip because he's the local and says, what are we going to do feeding these people? It's an impossible question. And Philip responds and he goes, he goes, basically gives a, a, he says, look, a year's wage What's a year's wage? Maybe $50,000. It's not going to buy enough so that everyone gets a bite. Andrew's response is a little bit better. He goes, well, here's a small boy with a couple of like little pancakes and a barley loaves with just small little round cheap bread for the time and a couple of like a tin of tuna. But what's this going to do for all these people? And as we we splash on the surface, there's a valid application here and we say like, Jesus asks them to do the impossible, and he expects them to have a response. And I don't know about you and your world, but I suspect it's the same as me and my world, that that often we look out into our worlds and the task is impossible. It's too big. What's the mission of Jesus? Go into all the world, teaching, baptizing, um, doing, reaching out with the gospel into these billions of people in this world with billions of problems and with a church with limited resources and then our own tangled and broken hearts. Task is too big and it can be cause for despair, can't it? But as we, we splash on the surface of this story, the big thing that jumps out to us is that Jesus is not limited by resource constraints. He asks the question, the impossible question of his disciples, but it's not like Jesus is having a little consulting, you know, a leadership 101, all right, let's get together, team. Now, what do you think, Andrew and Philip? How are we going to solve this problem? And then he kind of synthesizes the responses and he says, all right, team, this is what we're going to do. Jesus, he's got a plan. Do you notice that? He knows what he's going to do. Listen to verse 6. He said this to test Philip, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus got a plan. We see in, the, in this incredible miracle that Jesus is utterly confident 
He looks at the impossible situation and he's completely confident and he expects the disciples to share that same confidence. And you might take the application away from this morning as you read this story again. And you go, I've got so many huge needs. Our world has got so many huge needs. But Jesus is more than enough. He's not limited by resource constraints like I am. Come empty and hungry to a lunch hosted by Jesus, and when you leave, there'll be more food than there was than when you began. He has enough. That's a good, all three of those applications, by the way, are good and valid and helpful things that you might take away as we look at this story together and as you splash on the surface. It's good to splash. That's also good to put on some goggles because there are some things here that lie beneath the surface and they are very significant in understanding why Jesus does this miracle. Remember a sign? It's not just to show, hey, Jesus got lots of power. A sign is pointing to something else. So as we put on our goggles, we'll see what the sign points to. But you actually don't, you put on the goggles, but you don't have to dive very deep because Jesus gives you the answer in the verses that follow. So this is, we didn't read this this morning, but if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. What does the sign mean? Well, chapter six, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Very significant. Jesus turns the discourse and says, you guys are here because you got full stomachs and you want full stomachs again. Um, this is actually tied in with the very start of, of John chapter 6, which we didn't read again in, in verse 2. Verse 2 tells us why these huge crowds are here. It says this, because they saw the signs that Jesus was doing on the sick. So, so far in John's gospel, we've seen free, Jesus, Jesus dispensing free health care to everybody who comes, uh, free wine, and now he's cast himself as the mobile food truck. Come to Jesus and get your stomach filled, free food. And Jesus looks at the reason and he looks at the crowds, he says, that's why you're here. Why are you here? Because you're getting my stuff and you like it. And then he says this, he says, don't work for food that perishes. Don't work for that kind of food. Jesus says that what he does in feeding the hungry is pointing to a deeper hunger. Not, not the physical hunger of the empty stomach, but the the spiritual hunger of the empty soul. A hunger that food can't fill. A spiritual hunger that, that sits inside each of us. It, it's, you could call it a longing for transcendence. For something more. A spiritual hunger that we all have, whether or not you're a Christian here this morning or online, whether you've been a Christian for a long time. It's a hunger that we all have and the natural response of, of your heart and my heart or of my life and your life is to seek to fill that hunger with stuff, 
and we vary in what we seek to fill it with. The list is long. It could be that you long for career progression and development. If I can get to that spot in my career progression, then finally that hunger that I feel, the emptiness, the ache in my heart will be filled. For others of us, it, it might be not success or professional achievement. It might be a relationship. If, if I could have that person, that romantic person, that if I could be at night in the arms of him or her, then I would have that hunger filled. That person would fill me. It, it could be sometimes, it, it can be money. If I could just have those things, it's Black Friday, you know? If I could buy all that stuff then something would fill my heart. Just buy more things and, and pour them into the hole. Um, in, increasing, it seems to be, if, if I could have my politics, my causes, my conspiracy achieved, you know, then the hunger's gone. My cause for justice. But, but this, this sign of Jesus points us to the fact that you get all of those things even if you are able to achieve everything that you seek throughout your life, that your life plan is, is uh, fulfilled to the nth degree, you'll still be hungry. There's a spiritual hunger that will not go away. Um, one of the greatest columnists ever to write in the English language is a guy called Bernard Levin. He, he claims not to be a Christian, but he, he writes these words. Listen to this. Countries like ours are full of people who have all the material comforts they desire, together with such non-material blessings as a happy family, and yet lead lives of quiet and at times noisy desperation, understanding nothing but the fact that there's a hole inside them. And however much food and drink they pour into it, however many cars and television sets they stuff it with, however many well-balanced children and loyal friends they parade around the edges of it, it aches. It aches. Do you know what he writes? That inner ache that comes in you in those, in those moments in the night when you think, is this it? going around the merry-go-round of work and family, earning money, spending money, and then I die? That's it? You know that ache? Jesus says people are spiritually hungry. But he says there's a solution to that hunger. You want to know what the big point of this is? There's a solution. Listen to this. 25, verse 25. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Or verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, 
and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is not saying you become a Christian and you never need to eat bread or drink water again. He's not talking about your physical being. He's talking about your spiritual being. Bread, bread is the staple of life in the Middle East and in our country today as well, probably. Jesus says, I am the staple of life. I am the spiritual food that will feed your soul. Now, notice he doesn't say, my teaching is not the, the, the staple of life. Uh, come and learn some wonderful moral teaching from me and you'll fill the hole. Uh, he, he doesn't say, um, doing good things because you've listened to my teaching is the staple that fills you up. Do you see what he says the bread of life is? He says, it's me. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He doesn't do this incredible sign with the multiplication of the bread and the loaves to show you this morning that he is powerful. That's true, but that's not the point. He wants to show you that he can meet the inner spiritual hunger. He can fill the ache. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He alone can fill your heart. And he promises to fill it. And maybe this morning you, you've never, re- you said, yes, I feel that emptiness. But how can I follow Jesus? Because I don't think I'm his kind of guy or girl. So what do I have to do? I mean, how do I clean up my life? How do I, do I have to go, I don't know, how do I do this? I'd like to do it, but how do I? And Jesus says, it's so simple. Uh, Chapter six, verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. And again, in verse 29, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Remember Augustine said that the gospel of John is deep enough for an elephant to swim, but it's shallow enough that a child can swim safely. This is such a leveler. You do not need a degree in theology to understand what it is to come to Jesus. You don't need to have an IQ. You don't need to have a degree. You don't need to be a morally pure person that's lived your life in a Christian family. You don't need any of this stuff. This is a leveler. Every single person here this morning can understand what Jesus is saying. You want the hunger in your soul filled? Then believe. Nothing else. Believe in the one he sent. Believe in Jesus, isn't that beautiful? You can't walk from here this morning and going, it's too hard, it's too difficult, I don't understand, it's too complicated. My goggles aren't good enough, there's too much that I can't see. Believe. Believe in Jesus. And if you say, well, I have believed in Jesus, but I still feel the ache, I still feel that inner emptiness then if my own life is anything to go by, and I suggest yours might be the same, it's because suddenly, quietly, over a period of time, however it's happened, we've started to try and fill the hole with stuff again. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Whether you've never received and believed in him, or whether you have believed, but in the years since, 
you've started to hunger again after other things. Believe in Jesus. But as we look deeper still with the goggles, we see that Jesus is not only the the satisfaction for the spiritual hunger we have, but there's a warning here. There's a warning in this passage which, which is spoken, I think, to all of us. If we imagine we're the crowd coming to be fed with all of us, but especially to those of us who would say this morning that we are Christians, that we already have believed in Jesus, and that's most of us. There's a warning here. Um, who's heard the term rice Christian? Anyone heard that term? A few of us have. It's a, those who've been involved in mission work, global mission work, will know very well this term. This is what the dictionary says a rice, about rice Christian. It says, a rice Christian is a convert to Christianity who accepts baptism not on the basis of personal conviction, but out of a desire for food, medical services, or other benefits. That's a, a rice Christian. It's a, it's a phenomenon that occurs in global mission where, where people say, oh yeah, I want to become a Christian because I want to get the stuff that the missionaries supply. Not really in a conviction, but I want the rice. In one sense, you can't blame them, can you? But I'll tell you, I think that where this really cuts deep is that Jesus, as he, he does this miracle, says, you know what? Some of you are rice Christians, spiritually. What do I mean? I mean, we follow Jesus in order to get his stuff. We want the good stuff that Jesus brings us. The fish and bread he provided long ago to that crowd was good stuff. I reckon it would have tasted amazing if the wine was anything to go by. What Jesus gives us today is still good stuff. But Jesus, as good as it is, he calls it food that perishes. The stuff that we often want from Jesus is stuff that doesn't last. Let me give you an illustration. When um, Many of you will know that I worked as a chaplain um, at the Australian Recruit Training Centre at Kapuka for a, a number of years, and my job was to work with brand new recruits to the Australian Army as they went through, to walk alongside them in their training process when they came from the civilian, the long hair and the, and the scruffiness into the sort of the, the soldier going out to the unit at the other end. And I got to know many recruits. There was one who I've never forgotten. Uh, he was a, a highly motivated young bloke, probably about 21. Um, and during probably about three or four weeks into his 12-week uh, training course at Kapuka, he, he became a Christian. He was in a chapel service and he, he responded and he said to me after, he said, I want to follow Jesus. And boy, it was amazing to see. Uh, he started uh, reading, devouring the Bible. He was one of these underliners. He, he read all of these good Christian books and he, every single Bible study anywhere that I or any of the other chaplains was running, he'd be there. He was at chapel every Sunday. He, he was telling other recruits about how amazing Jesus was. It was a really incredibly, for me, it was an incredibly encouraging thing to see the change in him. But then at one point, um, tragically, he blew out his knee in a, in a training accident. Uh, he was taken back to the, the rehab platoon uh, at Kapuka to, to uh, try and rehabilitate his knee so he could continue on his training. And during that time, I would visit him almost every day. And we'd come together and we would believe in Jesus for healing. It's the right thing to do. Jesus gives amazing stuff. In John's gospel, you see he has the power to heal anything. 
And so we came together and we prayed in faith that God would do a miracle in that ACL. That he would restore that knee. And we would pray together um, day after day. One day, I went to visit him and to pray with him again. And as I came to see him, he told me that uh, the army had decided to medically discharge him. And then he said these words to me. He said, Padre, if this is how Jesus treats those who follow him, I want nothing to do with him. And he picked up his little camouflage Bible with the underlines and he walked across and he hurled that Bible into the bin. I don't know where he is now or what's happened in in the years since then. But he gave every indication that he and Jesus were going separate directions. He seemed to be a rice Christian. He wanted Jesus for his stuff. And when he didn't get the stuff, he walked away. Now, very few of us here this morning are rice Christians as blatantly as that. Very few of us would say, well, I don't get what I prayed for, so I'm not going to be a Christian anymore and I'm going to walk away. But when we look inside our hearts, maybe we long for the marriage partner. Maybe we long for the restored marriage. Maybe we long for the family unity. Maybe we long for the career progression. Maybe there's a physical ailment that that gives us pain day and night. Maybe there's any other one of needs that we long for and we come to Jesus and we get on our knees and we say, Jesus, you have all the power. You're not limited by resource constraints. Come and heal me. Come and give me what I long for. And let me tell you, those are the right prayers to pray. Jesus has good stuff to give. And we should ask and seek and long for that stuff. We should ask in faith. But here's my question, what happens if we don't get it? What happens if we stay single when we wanted to be married? What happens if our marriage gets worse instead of getting reconciled? What happens if, if we don't get the career promotion? What happens if the pain that you've got now is worse tomorrow? What happens then? What happens when we're hungry and we come to the teaching of Jesus and we don't get fed? Maybe this morning, though, you go, well, I think he's given me all the good stuff. I don't really have any of those needs. Jesus has provided all of those richly for me. Uh, yesterday at tennis, I was, I was chatting with a guy in a wheelchair. He was watching his, his daughter play. And he told me that a couple of years ago, he'd been an elite athlete. A couple of years ago, he was uh, in a training for a triathlon. He was coming down the hill of Barrable Road, and someone ran the red light and took him out hit and run, and now he's a paraplegic. And as I was talking to him, by the way, the, the guy's incredibly positive, getting into wheelchair tennis, but I was thinking to myself as I was talking to him, no, don't let that happen to me. I, I couldn't cope. You, you take my ability to move around and do sport and stuff, I don't think life's worth living. What would it be for you? 
the one thing that, that if, you, if Jesus took that away from you, you, you would be saying, oh, it's not worth living anymore. This, this runs deep, isn't it? Why do you come to Jesus this morning? You're here at church. Why are you here? Because Jesus has already given you something or you want him to give you something? Because you like his stuff? Look at my heart. It's a good question to ask. Why am I here this morning? Because I want God to grow the church. I want to see new churches planted. I want to see all these things happen. And they're good things. They're good stuff. They're kingdom stuff. But what if he doesn't give them? What if I ask and he says, no? This is not a hypothetical question. What if you were to lose the stuff that you most value? This is actually a real question because, tell me if I'm wrong, but sooner or later you're going to lose all of those things anyway, aren't you? I'm going to lose my physical health. We're going to lose our families. We're going to lose our careers. There's going to come a time, and this is not playing scare tactics, it's just true. There's going to come a time, and for some of us it might be sooner, for others it'll be later, when we will be lying perhaps in a hospital bed with those last laboring breaths. There'll come a time when we take the last one. And all that stuff is perished. All that stuff is gone, slipping through our fingers. None of us can hold on to any of it. And what happens then if we were only after Jesus for his stuff? What happens at that brink of eternity? Well, interestingly, in verse 63, Jesus gives an indication of what will happen. Verse 63, it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Isn't that interesting? The greatest teacher ever to have lived, the one who worked a miracle like that, which they saw when Jesus taught them and he pointed to the, put the goggles on and said, this is what it means. They turned away and didn't follow him anymore. Um, I know if you follow the, the Christian news today, deconstruction's a big thing. Have you heard that? Uh, deconstruction is, is where someone who's usually a high profile Christian goes like, I don't follow Jesus anymore. And a whole bunch of reasons that they give. Deconstruction's not new. Jesus is amazing, but, but he says, you can't come to me unless the Father draws you. You can't put your trust in Jesus unless God makes a way. You know, one of the reasons, because his teaching is just too hard. It's too hard. Jesus says, don't follow me for my stuff. Don't follow me for those things. Follow me for who I am. I don't promise you my stuff but I promise you something better. I promise you myself. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am, not my stuff, me. My stuff will be gone from you one day. You're gonna lose it. But I will never leave you. 
I'm the bread of life, the living bread. Uh, a hero of mine is a guy called Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Don't agree with everything he says. He's an amazing man of God, though. And in the last dark days of World War II, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German theologian who'd, who'd resisted Hitler. He was captured by the Gestapo, and he was put for a long period of time awaiting rating the decision of what would happen to him in a Gestapo prison. As it came to Christmas in 1944, in this dark cell, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a beautiful poem. Uh, He called that poem January 1945. You can find it online. Uh, It's a beautiful poem. And in that poem, he spoke about his hope. He, He spoke about the hope that in January, he'd be released. The Nazis would be overthrown that the dark clouds would pass, the sun would break in, his relationships would be restored, his ministry would be restored, he'd walk free from that prison. It's a poem full of hope, and he's asking God for these things in faith. But he also, at the end of that poem, wrote these words. So these words. But should it be ours to drain the cup of grieving, even to the dregs of pain at thy command, we will not falter, thankfully receiving all that is given by thy loving hand. Just a few weeks later, only a little while before the end of the war, they stripped Bonhoeffer naked and they let him out and they hung him. He drained the cup to the last dregs. Did Jesus fail him? All his stuff was gone. But Bonhoeffer had the bread of life. And the sun burst through. And the new day dawned. And everything was restored to him. He had the living bread. You can't take that away. Jesus is the living bread. You know, rice Christians are shallow Christians. Going through life, trying to grab the stuff trying to stuff our holes with the things that Jesus gives us. Real Christians go deep. Take it all away and give me Jesus and I've lost nothing. Drain the cup of grieving, even to the dregs of pain at thy command, will not falter, thankfully receiving all that's given by thy loving hand. I'm the bread of life, Jesus said. But as we finish up, one final point. One more thing we see as we put on the goggles here. And this is, this is not an accident. We didn't read um, verse 4, but John chapter 6, verse 4, as John is, is framing the story of the feeding, he's got this throwaway line in verse 4. It's this, Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. Then Jesus does this miracle. It's not an accident. It's there for a reason. What was the, This is the time of the Passover. Jesus feeds the people at the time of the Passover. What's he talking about? What's the Passover? The Passover is that moment when the people come from uh, slavery to freedom in Egypt. They get out of Egypt. Uh, you remember there's the miracles, the, the confrontation with Moses, and then there's that killing of the lamb and the blood on the doors. And the angel of death passes over the houses where the blood is. 
And then they're set free, and then God provides the manna, the bread from heaven in the wilderness. John says, it's at that time that Jesus did this. It's no accident. Jesus feeds the people, but then he says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And that bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus feeds the 5,000. He says, I am the solution to your spiritual hunger. Don't get my stuff, get me. And then he says, how's this gonna be possible? How are you gonna be able to believe in me? He says, my flesh is gonna be broken. I'm giving it for the life of the world. And then he, then he says these words, which have been controversial over the years. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. This has been controversial in the past because some elements or some branches of the Christian faith have said, that means that if you don't take communion, then you're not saved. That Jesus is talking here about the, the gathering of the church together and he's saying, if you don't, saying that's why the, 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 the juice becomes real blood as you drink it and the, the bread becomes uh, the real body of Jesus. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is speaking, he's saying, feed on me. I'm the bread of life. Nurture yourself in me. My broken body on the cross, resurrected to new life. There's the living bread. Come to me and feed on me. But I also do think it's very clear that one of the ways that we do that is in communion. That when we come and we remember the broken body of Jesus, the bread of the living bread, the bread of life. And we take the juice, then we remember his blood. That we are responding to this. We're saying, look, Jesus, not your stuff, you. I want you. So this morning, as we close out our service, I don't know how you respond to this. Are you someone that's hunting Jesus for his stuff? Are you someone with a hole inside of you who, who hasn't had the opportunity or has never responded to Jesus? And you, and you have that ache that you're trying to fill with other stuff? Or are you someone here this morning who says, your stuff's great, but I want you. I want to feed on you. I want to drink your blood. 
If you're in that third category, then this is the meal for you. If you're in the first two, you've got some business to do with God. If you're in the third category, come. But we can all come. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray a prayer of repentance and faith. That We're going to have um, the communion table set up at the front and the back. And then as we pray together after that, I'll explain how we'll, how we'll take communion together this morning. But let's pray a prayer of repentance and faith. Lord Jesus, we see your sign. We see the warning in that sign. Lord, would you forgive us when we come to you for your stuff? Would you forgive us when we take the gifts but we forget the one who gives them? Would you have mercy on us? And Lord Jesus, as those people came to you, Lord, we come to you this morning and we ask that by the power of the Spirit, you would deal, put aside the flesh and allow us to come to you in the spirit of faith and truth. So forgive us when we fall short. Thank you for the breaking of your body, Lord Jesus, for the shedding of your blood that sets us free. Thank you. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.